Good morning, St. Paul's. Our first reading today is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11 through 16, and 20 through 24. They can be found on page 1341 and 1342 in your pew Bible. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As the shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And verse 20 through 24. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The second reading is from Matthew, of, uh, chapter 25, 31 through 46, and it's on page 1542 in your pew Bible. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as the sheep right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, 
and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to you, Jesus. Thank you, Mary. Just uh, one note about our celebration next week for Jan and Al. We are collecting a love gift for them. So if you'd like to indicate that, as uh, you can uh, see Judy in the back. You can drop something in the offering plates in the back. Um, so we just want to continue just to thank and celebrate them uh, next week for all that they have done here for, for our church. Friends, let's pray this morning. Loving and holy God, we come today seeking a word from you. So Lord, speak to us today and Lord, meet us where we are. But we know that in your grace and in your goodness, in your infinite mercy, you will not leave us where you found us. Come to us, O good shepherd. Tend to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So two weeks ago, and and last week, we spent some time looking at stewardship. And really, though, stewardship uh, framed in, in particular terms. From the words of Joshua in the 24th chapter. As he's about to die and he gathers all of God's people together. And what does he do? He sets before them a choice. Choose today who you will serve. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or other gods. And remember that's important. Why? What are our options? The true living God or what? other gods it's a false idea to say the choice is between God or no God because all of us worship something and so the, it's put before the people of Israel choose today who you will serve and that choice echoes from Joshua all the way down through the ages to us sitting here today we must choose who we will serve and then after we've made the choice as we looked at last week then comes a commitment We have to do something with the choice we've made. And when we choose the way of Jesus Christ, when we choose faith in Him, that comes with expectations for how we will live in this world. And so today we're going to, I think, really just continue with that trajectory of having made a choice of commitment. But today... The question before us is, commitment to whom? To what? Who is this person that we have said yes to? What is he all about? The church calendar is Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday in the church year is a bridge Sunday between the Christian calendar year and the start of a new cycle of the Christian calendar year, which begins next Sunday with the first Sunday of Advent. 
Christ the King Sunday was put into the, the church calendar, and I'm going to explain in a moment why I believe the church calendar is so important. It was put into the church calendar after World War I, when the world had been shaken, and many in churches believed that through progress, through advancements in science and technology, that the church would improve, that people would get better, and the kingdom of God would be ushered into the world. Many of them were completely disabused of that theological notion after World War I. To see the evil that could be inflicted upon another and this huge widespread conflict, it shattered this illusion that people could advance, that they would get better. And so into the church calendar was put this Sunday where the church holds up once and for all over any other human king or ruler, there is one king. And it is Jesus Christ. And so the church is reminded once a year, should be reminded all the time, but once a year we're just hammered with this message that Jesus Christ is king and there is no other. The Christian calendar forms us because every day, in some way, shape, or form, you and I are being shaped and formed by something. It might be the media that we consume. It might be the politicians that we enjoy following. It might be the books we read or the people that we talk to. We're being formed every day. And for us... Through the Christian year, it forms us in a particular way. We're put into God's rhythms, God's story, where we're reminded that God came into the world, that He suffered and died for us, that He rose again, that the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and His presence and power is available to everyone. And then, now that we have made said yes to Jesus and we have the Spirit, what does a life of discipleship look like? The Christian calendar guides us through all of that. It forms and shapes us if we let it. And in a day and age where there are secular forces all around us seeking our attention and vying for our our allegiance, we need to be shaped and formed evermore by the faith that's been handed down from generation to generation. So today on Christ the King Sunday, I was thinking this morning as I was uh, showering and getting ready for church, all my good thoughts happen in the shower. Just like Martin Luther, the great reformer. In the bathroom, all his great thoughts happen there, all his theological epiphanies. If you want to meet with God, take a shower. See what he has to say to you. So I was in the shower and I was thinking about kings, you know. And kings for us, it's kind of a, perhaps an antiquated system. We might not find a real um, resonance with it. And I was thinking, though, of all these kings of, of Robin Hood, right? And Robin Hood's kind of keeping things together. Why? Well, the king is away. The good king is away. And things have happened in the king's absence. And all through the Robin Hood story, what happens? There's sort of this longing for the king to return. Because they know that when the king returns, what will happen? Everything will be okay. Everything will be set right. Those who have caused harm and done evil will be held to account. I think of King Arthur. And you know what's written on King Arthur's tombstone in those legends? 
the once and future king. This idea that the king would come back and be restored and perhaps then there'd be peace. I think of Lord of the Rings, those great uh, Tolkien epics. There's rumors of a king from the north. And eventually that king is Aragon, who leads this great battle in the return of the king, vanquishes evil, and peace is restored among all the kingdoms of the world, of Middle Earth. There's something in us, friends, there's a trace all down through history, I believe, hardwired in us for a good king. Remember the choice that Joshua puts before the people. Choose this day, will you serve God or will you serve other gods? Will God be your king or will something else or will someone else be your king? Because those are the choices before us. We are hardwired for a king. It's in our bones. And if you know anything about the kings that were given to Israel, very few of them were people who measured up morally, ethically, religiously, militarily. There were only a few. And over and over and over again, there's this failure of the kings to do what they were tasked to do which was to protect and defend, to lead the people, to care for the people. And Ezekiel, this great prophet, is writing in the midst of one of the most tragic and defining moments in the people of Israel's history. They've been taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. The temple's been destroyed. Everything that they have known, everything that gave them life and purpose has been disrupted and they've been carried away. And in the midst of that, what does Ezekiel say? There's a day that's coming when God himself will step into history and will gather the people back together. And get this, that God himself would do for the people what human kings were unable to do. That God would be the perfect king. And all through the Old Testament, From the time of King David, into the Psalms, and in the prophets, there's this echo of a king. Of a King David, of someone in David's line. And Ezekiel points right to it. The Messiah, the anointed one, the king. He would come into history. And he would gather the people together. And notice the language that Ezekiel uses. That of a shepherd gathering sheep together. So, in this context of a king, of a mighty warrior, of someone who rules and reigns, yes, all of that. And yet there's this tenderness to the care that God himself gives his people. We know that in Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one in the line of David who comes into the world, who tries to to gather the sheep. And it seems at his time only a few heard his voice. 
He talks of this day that would come when everyone would be gathered and the sheep and the goats would be separated. And he would talk to them. You see, friends, there's an indictment all through the prophets, all in the Old Testament, of the behavior of kings. Because, friends, kings set the tone, don't they? The kings lead the people. And something had happened. And the prophets are raised up again and again and again because the people depart from the covenant. From this relationship of faithfulness and adherence to God and to His law. And the people depart from it. And how is that departure made manifest and known? They don't take care of the widows. They don't take care of the orphans. They don't help the poor. Over and over and over again, we find in the prophets, I think of Isaiah, who's speaking for God on behalf of the people. Your your offerings, your worship, it stinks to me. Why? Because they would come in and they would offer the right kind of worship, but then they would leave and act as if none of it mattered. They would go out and live any way they wanted. They would neglect the poor among them and the weak. They would not do what God had called them to do. And over and again we see prophets raised up who call people back to faithfulness by doing what they're called to do. And so Jesus gathers and he says, the sheep, you clothed me, you fed me, you gave me water, you visited me. And they said, when did we do that to you, Lord? When you've done it to the least of these. And then there are those who did not clothe and feed and give water and visit. Because they neglected what it means to live under the aegis of the king. Because see friends, when we say yes to the king, when we choose Jesus Christ, that comes with great responsibility. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn grace but when we are given that gift we are then given responsibility to do something with it and so when we have said yes and when we have made that commitment we have made that commitment to someone who expects someone we have a king we have a ruler we have a shepherd who calls us to live out our faith in the world so that others might then come under the authority of the king that we claim to worship. Friends, on this Sunday, when we acknowledge Jesus Christ to be the king, the Lord of all creation, the one who was there at the beginning, who called the world into being, and yet came into our world as a vulnerable baby human, lived as one of us, and then died in our place, and has now ascended and sits at the right hand, the king of the universe, wants to be in a relationship with each one of us. He knows his sheep. He knows them by name. He wants to tend to them. And then you know what he wants to do? He wants to let us loose into the world. So that we can call others into that same relationship 
That is our duty and our responsibility as citizens of this kingdom. This kingdom that is not like any kingdom of this world. The kingdom that for us as followers of Jesus Christ is our first allegiance. It is where our citizenship lies. Not in another country, not in a political party. First and foremost, it is to the kingdom of God and to Jesus Christ who is king. Everything flows from that. That's where our identity comes from. We seem to live in a world that tells us lots of things about identity. That we go deep inside of ourselves and we can pull out our own identity. We figure out who we are. We have our own truth. The gospel stands against all of that. It says, no, ultimately our identity is from the God who created us. And it is his truth to which we must submit our lives. That's what it means to live as citizens of this kingdom. That we look to Jesus first and foremost. It is in his life and in his love that we find out who we are. And then we're called to go. To go to the last, the least, the lost. Those who are hungry and thirsty. Those who have no one. And invite them to know more about this king that we serve. For that's our calling. Will you join me as citizens of this kingdom, following a king who has called us to go and to serve? May it be so. Amen. Amen.